hinted at among you. Saying, don't even let things like sexual immorality or greed even be named among you. You're not like that anymore. Don't live that way. He says, rather, walk carefully or live carefully. Watch carefully how you live, that you would live in wisdom. Not the wisdom of this world that says that life is all about the stuff that you have and the money that you have and the zeros after your name. But biblical wisdom. Wisdom that says that life is about following Christ. It's about faithfully following Jesus. Doing what He has called you to do. Living the way He has called you to live. In that, in that passage that we went through last week, I heard Paul saying, Be who you, God has made you already. You are already beloved children of God. Now live into this reality. Take on this reality. Live in this reality. Because this world, the way that it thinks, the way that it works, is dangerous to our faith. It can be dead. It can be deadly to our faith. It can weed it out. Like weeds in a field, it can grow up and choke out the wheat. This week, Paul says, rather, put on God's strength, or put on the armor of God. He says, put on the mighty power of Christ. The mighty power of the Lord. And it's interesting because he says, all of you do this. All of you put on this power of God. Now, in our time, we live more in an individual time, so we can hear this as, all of you, as a group of individuals, put on God's power. Each of you in your own particular life, put on God's power. Trust in God's might and His power in your life. But in Paul's day, there's more of an emphasis on the community. So even though we may still hear this as each of you individually, it's also true that Paul, I think, meant it as you as a church, you as a family, put on God's strength. Put on the strength of God's power. See, both are good and we need, to be, we need both because we need to have God's power in our lives individually. When we're all alone and no one's watching, we still, need God's, we still need God's power, Christ in our life, to live faithfully. But we also need Him corporately, as a church. We need God's power in this church to be faithful, to continue growing in our faith and to be about God's business here in Balfour, in the Kootenays, in Takati, in Romania, the places where God has called us. We need each other. We need to be strong as the family of God. So Paul comes up with this great image, this great metaphor. The Spirit moving in him gives him this flash of brilliance. And he says, put on the armor of God. Drawing from passages from the Old Testament, we heard a little bit of it in Isaiah, putting on the belt of truth. In other parts of Isaiah, the breastplate of righteousness. He says, put on God's armor. He says, be strengthened in God. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, work out this harder yourself. Draw on your own strength. He doesn't say, grab your bootstraps and pull yourself up. No, he says, rely on God's power. Rely on God's strength in your life. Put on the belt of truth. Now part of this, I believe, is, is calling us to believe in the truth. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He is more than just some great teacher. 
some wise man who walked around and did some amazing things, but that he is the very Son of God. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made, of one essence with the Father. That he died on a cross and that he rose again, that we could have life, that we would be saved from our sin, that we would be reconciled to the living God and that one day he is coming again. Believe in this truth. But I also hear Paul saying, if you believe in this truth, live that way. You see, so often, even as Christians, we fall into this. Belief has become more like a a mental agreement. I agree that Jesus is the Son of God. I agree to the idea that, that we should follow him. And then so many Christians end up living just like the rest of the world just like everyone else, that people would say to them, I had no idea that you were a Christian. I've known you for 20 years and I had no idea. I think what Paul is encouraging us to do is to live out this truth. To not just say we agree to it, but to live it out in our lives so that people would see us and notice something different about us. They would ask us, why are you doing this? What you're doing here is honest, has integrity like few people have. Why are you doing this? The only we have this opportunity to say is because I follow Christ. Because I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And that changes the way I live. So put on this belt of truth. Not just agreeing to it or believing it, but also living it out in your life. For the people of Israel, belief included the way you lived. It was, in their mind, you were unwise or stupid if you, if you believed but didn't actually live that way. Actually, they wouldn't even call that belief. They'd call it something else, hypocrisy. In the Jewish world, belief included the way you lived. So Paul says, put on this this belt of truth, but also this breastplate of righteousness. I've been struggling to say that all week. Breastplate of righteousness. Put on God's righteousness in the sense that Jesus Christ has died for your sin. Everything that you've ever done Anything that you will ever do, Jesus Christ has died that you would be saved from it. That God would not hold it against you. Put on this righteousness. So when you stand before God, you are covered with Christ. You are covered with His faithfulness, with His righteousness, and you are deemed righteous. But there's also this sense of righteous ethics, or to live righteous or ethically. Not only to receive God's righteousness on you, but to live righteously. To live in a way that describes or that demonstrates you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That you believe that there is a God in heaven who is coming to judge the quick and the dead. And you live that way. To live righteously. Put on this breastplate. And put on the shoes of the gospel. Or strap on the sandals of the gospel of peace. Share this good news with your neighbors and with your friends. It's not meant for just sitting there. It's, it's like shoes. You go out and walk. Spread it around. And put on this shield of faith that will protect you from the flaming arrows of the evil one. And we need this protection. We need this protection as believers in Christ because they are our flaming arrows. Arrows that are lit and shot at us to take us out. To take us out of the fight. To undo our faith. And so, we get, so Paul talks about the shield of faith. 
that we would be faithful, that we would remain faithful, that we'd remember what Christ has done in our lives, that we'd remember what Christ has done in history, the cross and the resurrection, that those arrows would not pierce our heart, that they would not take us out. And he says, put on the helmet of salvation, the headpiece. Receive the salvation that comes from Jesus. Receive the salvation that comes from the cross. The reality that God loves you. He loves you dearly and you are his children. He wants good things for you, for you to be reconciled to him. Receive this salvation. And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now it's interesting here because the sword is the only weapon of offense, the only offensive weapon. Everything else is meant for defense. Breastplates and belts and shields, these are defensive. But it's the word of God that we go and we put down evil. It is by the word of God that we name injustice. When something is unjust, it's by the word of God that we deem it unjust. When there is injustice in our community, We name it because we are Christian and we name it with the word of God. When there is sin in our lives, we are honest and we name it with the word of God. We encourage each other, we exhort each other to live faithfully with the word of God. These are the things that push the darkness back. These are the things that undo evil. It's the word of God. Paul says, be strengthened in the word of God. Be strengthened by God's mighty strength and put on His armor. Put on truth and righteousness. Put on the gospel of peace and be faithful. Put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Be strengthened in God. Be strengthened so that you would stand firm. Because don't be fooled, it's not among blood and flesh that we battle or wrestle, but among principalities with principalities and powers, spirits of evil. It is a battle for the human heart. For centuries, this battle has gone on for the human heart. And it's not against just mere people. It's true, there are some evil people. There are people who are evil, who are so broken that they are evil and they mean sinister things. But so many other people, in fact, most people that we know, They aren't evil. They aren't sinister. It's just more of garden variety selfishness or pride. They don't mean to be hurtful. They're not intentional about hurting people. But if it means part of their life means hurting others, then well, that's sort of the way it works out sometimes. See, Satan uses this. The evil one uses this. He takes the sins even of good, of well-meaning people, sometimes even Christians, and he pours gas on them. There's already fires burning of greed, of selfishness, of lust for power, envy. He doesn't create these things in us. They're already there. He just pours gas on them. And the fires burn out of control. Now some of you might be thinking, I'm not sure about the whole Satan thing, the whole devil thing. I'm not sure about this. Well, let me tell you. A little red man with horns and a ponytail and a pitchfork, I don't believe in him either. I do, however, believe in something much more sinister than that. Someone much more, someone much darker than that. As I read through scriptures, there is an evil one, there is a Satan. 
There is a devil who works to undermine the kingdom of God. Who works to undermine what is happening. To undermine what God is doing. As I read, as I listen to Paul and Jesus throughout the Old Testament, there is an evil one. There is evil in this world. It's interesting, there is a French poet. I'm sorry, I can't say his name. (laughs) He talked about the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. And how we as people, as Christians, are tempted to go blithely through this world, to live our lives happily along, not realizing the ways that the evil one plays upon our our sin, on our greed, even on our pride. And so we sometimes take it for granted, and that makes us vulnerable. It was actually Klein Snodgrass, who is a covenant uh, theologian, a New Testament scholar, who talked about our relation, our, the ways that Satan works in our lives, even as Christians, how it doesn't, it's, uh, it's not obvious at first. He talked about it, how, how, as Paul says, you know, he put on the armor of God so that you would not be deceived by the wiles of the evil one, or by the wiles of the devil, by the deceit of the devil. But you would not be deceived by it. Because most of you, actually I know you, you are good people, and I love you. But we all have this thing in our lives where we end up like just maybe one step. Like it's not so much that Satan's telling us to, to um, disobey God. He's just saying, ah, maybe just take one little step. This wouldn't be so bad. It's not that he's saying reject Jesus. We wouldn't listen to him if he said that. He's just whispering, maybe you should just take a little bit more for yourself. And it's step after step after step, and we find ourselves way off track. We find ourselves in a completely different place than God. This is how Satan works, even in the lives of believers. Trying to separate us from each other. Trying to separate us from God. Whispering to us, you know, if they were really sorry, they would apologize a lot earlier. Or, I know that, you know, I wasn't right, or I have some blame to bear, but I'm not apologizing until they do. Or with our spouses, with people in church, with our friends. He works to put wedges between us. Eggs us on. Satan is at work. And he's at work pervasively throughout our world. He works in lives of people personally. Most of us can see this when we're honest. He also works socially, structurally. Things that are set up, laws or regulations that are set up to hold people down. To keep certain people out of other people's way. It's interesting, I came from Vancouver and and in that place they had the downtown east side which was a part of town where they had all of the services for people who are homeless or addicted. Now, part of you could justify and say it was this way for convenience so they could have everything they needed in one spot. But there's also the other side of that coin. It was all right there so that they wouldn't be up in Shaughnessy. They wouldn't be up in other parts over in the the West End. It was to keep people, unsavory people, in this tiny little space in the downtown core. That's what I'm talking about, how how evil works. 
I had a friend who lived out. He was an addict. And every morning, even when he was clean, his dealer would come and knock on his door and try to get him to use again. I'll give you the first, he said, I'll give you the first hit for free. Just come to me later that day. And he tried to explain to me as an addict how tempting that was every day. This is what I'm talking about, how Satan works socially, at structures, at levels that we don't even totally understand. But he also works politically, feeding on the pride of people and their, their lust for power. He works corporately, corporations and greed. Now, I'm not saying that all politicians, obviously, not all politicians are bad, not all businesses are bad, but I'm saying that Satan is at work in these places too, bigger than just people and our personal struggles. He's also at work in our families, trying to tear families apart, trying to pit spouses against each other, parents and children. He's at work in churches, trying to pit believers against each other, trying to degenerate feuds or disagreements. He works in communities. Something happens, and next thing you know, you have two sides in a community. You have the people on this side and the people on that side. A community split right down the middle. Satan is at work. But here's the good news. The great news that we can never forget. We can never forget that Satan has been defeated. That on the cross, Jesus did many things and one of them was defeat evil. Evil has been defeated. The war has been won. Sure, there are still battles that that persist, but the war has been won. Evil has been defeated. And we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid. But these powers, these evil powers, these principalities and powers, they still are beneath Christ. Christ is still Lord of all, King of kings. And we have this power in Him if we will just appropriate it, if we would just take it and use it. Paul's saying, be strengthened in the strength of God and His mighty strength. Each of you as people, us as a church, that we would be strengthened and we would take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that we would use this to name evil, to name injustice, and drive back the darkness. We have been told to put on the strength of God, the armor of God, to stand fast, to stand firm against the devil against principalities and powers to fight for the human heart, the heart of all humanity. And the great news is he has given us this great, this amazing ability, this amazing weapon at our disposal and it's called prayer. The whole last section of this passage is all about prayer. Paul says in all these things, prayer and supplication, in all these things, prayer and petition to God, Prayer is this amazing power that we have in our lives. Paul encourages the Ephesians. Well, he commands the Ephesians to pray. To pray in every situation. To pray in every time, whether it's good times or bad times. To pray whether whether it's a time of certainty or a time of uncertainty. To pray when you feel faithful and joyful and worshipful to God. To pray when you don't even know if God is there or listening to you. To continue praying. Pray in all times. Pray in the Spirit. 
Pray in the presence of God's Spirit. Pray through God's Spirit through you. Through the strength of the Spirit. Continue praying. Pray all the time. You see, when we pray, we invite God into the situation even more than He already is. I said that carefully because it's not as if God is just sitting around waiting for us to pray before He springs into action. God is at work in everything. His kingdom is everywhere. But when we pray, He enters even more. He enters into situations even more. And as we read through Scripture, there are places where God changes. There are places where people pray and God's heart is changed. And He listens. And He does what He had not decided to. He does something new because of prayer. Praying brings God into the situation even more. But it also brings us closer to God. When we spend time in prayer, it brings us closer to Him. We begin to understand or see a little bit more clearly God's will, His design, His plan, and His direction. Prayer is this amazing power that He has given us, this amazing calling that He has brought all of us into. So Paul says, be steadfast. Pray continually. Pray all of the time. Pray for each other. As a family of faith, pray for each other. Pray for people in our church who need help, who are in hospital, or who are going through some of the hardest times of their life. Pray for them. Pray for God's comfort in their life, for God's presence and for direction. And there's this great part where Paul, he prays that the church in Ephesus would pray for him. That they would give him, that God would give him boldness to speak the gospel. To proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. And if I may, I ask that you do the same for me. That you would also do the same for me. That I would speak boldly. That I would proclaim this word. That I would proclaim it honestly. That I, would, that I would proclaim this mystery of God, this amazing thing that God has done, that He has saved our lives. That when we were still sinners and enemies to God, He came and saved us. That He died on a cross that we might have life and He is coming again. I ask that you would pray for me, if I may. But today, this morning especially, I ask that you would pray for our church. I'm asking each of you that you would pray for our church. This church that God has put here in Balfour. When you spend time alone with God in your devotions, please include our church. We need prayer here. Please include our church. That we be faithful. That we as believers, as children of God, would grow in our faith that we would understand God's love for us more and more, and that we in turn would love Him more and more. Pray that as a church, we would be involved in God's mission here, God's work in our community. Pray for the mission of this church. And I ask that when you get together in small groups, that you would pray for our church. That you would continue to pray that we would grow in our faith. When you gather together, in whichever small group it is, whether it's a study group or a group that gets together to knit, that you would pray for our church. And today I wanted to ask if you guys would, if we would pray for our church at the times like on Wednesday, Wednesday morning and Wednesday evening prayer. 
This is a, this might be a little bit convicting, but right now on Wednesday morning we have two people who come to pray. To come to pray corporately. On Wednesday nights it's often myself. Just me. Now I know you are praying people. I know many of you pray at home. But there is value. There is goodness in gathering together to pray. So if Wednesday doesn't work, which I hope maybe it will work for more of you, pray in your small groups. But I wanted to tell you that Wednesday morning there are people here praying for our church, for the people of our church, for the growth of our church in terms of our relationship with Christ, but also the growth of our church in terms of our community joining this family of God. Wednesday night at 6 o'clock we're going to be gathering to pray, to pray for the people of our church, for you, for each other, but also that we would be faithful in what God has called us to here in Balfour. That more and more people would join this congregation. More and more people would join this family. They'd begin living this life in Jesus. Prayer is this amazing thing that God has given us. This amazing opportunity to draw close to Him and change the way of the world. He's calling us to use it. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, speaks to them, but to us as well, to pray all the time in all things. This world, we began by talking about this world and how it is dangerous for our faith. This world can be deadly to our faith. So be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Take on the Lord's mighty strength. Be strong in Him and put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God and resist the evil one. Resist Satan. Don't even give him a foothold in our church. And by the word of God, press him back. Press back the darkness. Undo evil. And pray. If you would, please pray that people in our church will grow in their faith. That we as a church will become even more faithful. Pray that this community, this community would find their home here in this church. That our friends and our neighbors, they would come here and they would hear good news about who Jesus is and they would want to follow him with the rest of their lives. That they would find this new life that this church would be packed full, every seat filled, people here praising God, joyfully praising God in new life. Pray that this would happen in our community, here in Balfour, but throughout the Kootenays. That the Kootenays would be known as a place, as a place of revival, where God is at work, where people's lives are being changed. Pray that God would be at work in our world, the wars would stop, the people would be different, and that everyone would proclaim his name. Because there is a day that is coming when every tongue will, when every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. Every person will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The day is coming. But we need to pray. We need to keep praying. This morning, rather than thinking or listening, I was going to ask if we could pray. If we could pray for our church. Right now, in this moment, I'll begin and then there will be space for, for us to pray for this church. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, Lord God, I thank you for your word. As Anne said, it is powerful and you speak to us each day. God, I pray for this church. I pray for this family whom I love. Lord, help us to grow in faith. Help us to understand your love more 
to receive it more, to love you, God, with all of our heart, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would lead us into mission. You would continue to lead us to share this good news with our neighbors, with our friends and our co-workers. Lord God, please be at work in our church. Grow us in faith and grow your family here. And now, Lord, I pray that you would listen to us as a church.